and welcome to our fourth episode of Uscantium's podcast series. My name is Özge and I will be relaying a number of podcast sessions published by Uscantium International Law Association. The podcasts are not only for international learners and freaks, but also for young professionals and change makers from diverse backgrounds worldwide and we will be talking all aspects of international relations in the era of globalization. And in our fourth episode, I'm really happy to have one of the leaders of its generation and my good friend, Ilayda Eskitaşşoğlu. Ilayda is a PhD student in Koç University and founder of We Need to Talk Initiative. She is also representing UN Women Beijing Plus 25 Youth Task Force. Welcome, Ilayda. How are you? Uh, hello, Elge. Thank you so much for having me in the podcast. It is really wonderful to be here, apart from the gossiping and coffee fortune-telling sessions that we regularly have. It is very nice to simply sit down with a good friend and nerding out about international law. So thank you for giving me this platform to share my story with the mighty network of Yuskantu. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty excited, but I have to give a heads up to our listeners, because this will be the whining millennial episode of the podcast series, <laughs> most probably. But I'm so ready for it. <laughs> okay. So, Ilayda, uh, may, people who may be listening to us would be curious about your career journey. Why do you work in the field of legal feminist studies? What reason or defining moment led you de- to these fields of research? Okay, well, uh, maybe first I can start by telling the pretty short story of my academic career so far. <laughs> so, I graduated in 2016 from Bilkent University Law Faculty and... I immediately started my traineeship to become a lawyer um, right away for a full year. And uh, I'm indeed a lawyer, a member of Ankara Bar Association, but I did not practice at all. Uh, Basically, I learned that I became a lawyer and then the next day I flew to the Netherlands. Um, I knew that I wanted to pursue an academic career from earlier years. So I went to the Netherlands for my master's studies and I graduated from the European and International Human Rights Law Advanced Studies LLM program uh, in 2018. Then I returned to Turkey and currently I'm a PhD student at Koç University, as as you said. I'm also a fellow at the UNESCO chair in our university, the UNESCO chair for uh, gender Equality and Sustainable Development, and I'm a researcher at Kochkam, which is the Center for Gender Studies in our uni. Uh, actually, um, feminist legal studies or feminist legal theory is not the only topic that I'm uh, academically interested in. Um, my PhD thesis uh, right now, I'm, I'm planning to write it, on a triple comparison between Turkey, South Africa, and Colombia, Uh, And I will take a look at the business and human rights situation there, the frameworks uh, from the perspective of gender, gender equality, Mm -hmm. basically. So I can say that my main research interest is business and human rights. I also wrote my LLM thesis on it. But on the side, uh, recently I started exploring feminist legal theory, as you just said. Um, I'm a bit ashamed to say this, but I actually started learning and reading more about it when I started my PhD. Um, I I took a class from Professor Başak Çalı. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was about the theoretical foundations of fundamental rights. And I started reading a little bit about feminist legal theory. It's quite interesting. So um, Schenken, Charlesworth or other feminist legal scholars they think, they claim that international law is a thoroughly gendered system. 
and they argue that both the structure of lawmaking and the content of the rules uh, privilege men. It is an it is a very interesting claim, and I and I agree to that, and I try to contribute to this uh, to this theory. Well, <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm just trying. I'm <laughs> I'm a new beginner for sure, but I'm very much interested in this exposing nature of feminist legal theory. But how I got interested in it is. On the side, as as you told, uh, I'm the founder of a very small NGO, which uh, the NGO's name is We Need to Talk. We aim to provide menstrual products to rural women in Turkey and to destroy the stigma around menstruation. So we're uh, organizing field projects with volunteer doctors, and I've been involved with sexual and reproductive rights and women's rights in general from an like as an activist rather than an academic. It, mm-hmm, it's, a, mm-hmm. it's a topic that is very close to my heart. But I wasn't uh, necessarily interested in it academically. Mm-hmm. But recently, I started to connect gender equality with the topics that I'm interested in academically. And therefore, for example, I started my PhD, which is like my PhD topic is pretty much in the intersection between business and human rights and gender equality. But uh, I didn't have a have an epiphany moment necessarily. I did have it for my interest in business and human rights. I was just casually um, watching a documentary in Netflix called The True Cost, uh, which got me thinking about the human cost of the cheap clothes that we wear. Of course, we're students and we <laughs> and we shop from um, the the worldwide brands that sell cheap clothes. I I watched the whole document and I did some research on it and it led to my growing interest in business and human rights. So I I wrote my LLM thesis on that and then uh, and then here I am today. Very well. So what are the stakes and the challenges that you face in your research in these areas, Elida? Okay, <laughs> this is a great question, and I told you before the podcast as well. I I mean this will be a very like vining millennial kind of episode but there are many challenges um for example there are some specific challenges to the topic that i'm researching on for example uh it is easier for me to do research on turkey and south africa but for colombia most of the resources are in spanish and i'm still learning spanish it's uh i haven't mastered the language at all yet so i have these like specific challenges related to um access to resources etc but all in all i think that phd is a very lonely process mm-hmm. i mean i'm very happy that i'm and that i'm studying in coach and my supervisor uh professor bartel mahoda is is a fantastic supervisor but like naturally it is quite lonely you have to have a lot of self discipline which i don't have <laughs> and you always have to be conscious of your It's mental health exactly <laughs> like no one tells you what to do um i'm i'm constantly struggling with time management but i'm still learning mm-hmm. also as you know like we we talk about this from time to time being a young woman in academia i didn't necessarily experience um, any discrimination in my university thankfully but i i observed that in general in symposiums in conferences or in uh, conversations i strongly sense this reverse ageism there is this constant pressure of trying to make clever comments trying to prove yourself 
to show your academic potential basically and it's really stressful sometimes um and talking of proving ourselves also i'm a researcher on human rights and as you know human rights has a reputation within international law <laughs> we it is somehow not taken very ser- seriously in certain really? yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah in 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 certain environments and you always constantly try to try to tell that you, your research actually does an impact and there are important topics and we're not basically we're not uh, doing research or fighting for a utopia so uh, i i observed that as well as a challenge and i don't know how to tackle with it honestly but that is something um what else let me think oh i have this thing called uh, academic fomo mm-hmm. so i'm, I'm <laughs> I mean, I'm following a lot of Twitter accounts, academic Twitter accounts, and sometimes I get super stressed because, like, I can't catch up with the jurisprudence mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. European Court of Human Rights and also get to know what's happening in, in for example, the ICJ cases or, uh, like, what's happening in the world. Rights Committee, for, for Exactly, example, yeah. like, mm-hmm. exactly. You kind of have to catch up with everything, but yeah. you can't. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's something that I'm working on. Um, also your work, I, I mean, what I observed throughout the, the recent years from my experiences is that if you're working on international human rights law, not only in Turkey, but internationally, your work is seen worthy and interesting as long as you don't touch upon politically sensitive topics like women's rights, children's rights, sure, but uh, terrorism or illiberal democracies mm-hmm. or minority rights you may come across rule of law exactly mm-hmm. rule of law as well like you may come across uh, extra barriers we know that for sure but it is a thing it is a thing it really impacts your career and lastly one big challenge that i face is the lack of fundamental academic skills mm-hmm. Especially within Turkish curriculum for undergraduates, I think you would agree as well. We didn't take classes on research methodologies or not at all, or academic writing, or how to make a proper literature review, like, like simple as that. Just memorize exactly, yeah. exactly. Because like the, I mean, I don't blame uh, those who have planned the curriculums, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, because it's the system. It's the system. But I'm, I'm, I'm still learning, and I think those are skills that we should have started learning way earlier. I mean, I'm still trying to perfect how to make a, a good literature review when I'm a PhD student. Uh, there, was a, there was a discussion on that in Twitter, actually, like among Turkish scholars as well. It was very interesting to me. So um, there are these unique nuanced other skills too, like writing quick, up-to-date blog posts or well-thought blog posts or even academic tweeting. It's a skill. It really is. Uh, so I constantly feel that... Um, I'm inadequate in in that sense, but um, especially writing like about writing the thesis, uh, I can suggest our listeners if they're doing similar work. Uh, Umberto Eco's How to Write a Thesis and Eugene Wolock's Academic Legal Writing were quite helpful resources for me in that sense. All in all, like of course I have self doubt. I'm a PhD student. I have to. <laughs> But PhD is a long journey, and um, and you re- as as you're ri- researching and writing, you learn on the way. Yeah. Okay, okay. I'm gonna stop. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Many thanks. <laughs> 
I'm sure that our listeners would like to know more about your United Nations ex- Nations experience in Geneva. What would you like to say on this from the international law perspective, Elida? Okay. Well, um, uh, well, I can start talking about 2020 at first. Mm-hmm. Um, so this year, uh, 2020, is is a very, very important year for United Nations and international community in general. Because... Uh, from a gender equality perspective, it is the 10th anniversary of UN Women. It is the 25th anniversary of the Beijing Declaration and Platform for Action. I think, if I'm not mistaken, also 75th year of uh, the United Nations itself. Mm-hmm. So it is a very, very important year to uh, take a look back and to review what we have achieved so far and what we have failed to achieve so far. My experience was that I... Um, I had the honor of becoming a member of UN Women's Beijing Plus 25 Global Youth Task Force. And it is a it is a youth task force that is led by UN Women. We are 30 youth leaders. Uh, I was the uh, only young person selected from Turkey. And I'm basically um, representing uh, Eastern Europe, I would <laughs> say, and a little bit of, uh, of Middle East region. Uh, so what we do is UN Women wants us to be in the driving seat throughout this Beijing Plus 25 review process. And uh, the Beijing Declaration was a political document, so it, it actually doesn't have a, a legally binding quality mm-hmm. in terms of international mm-hmm. law, but it is a very, very effective uh, document in my opinion. I think it is a one of the most comprehensive blueprints for women's rights worldwide, although it was adopted in 1995. And I know that, um, well, uh, international law, especially CEDAW, for example, mm-hmm. so uh, international law bodies that are interested in and in, in working in gender equality, are uh, they are really following the the principles that were embedded in Beijing Declaration. It is it is really important, and especially in international law, I think we can't stay quite away from from politics and uh, activism and mobilization, uh, in my opinion. So um, this year, basically, uh, UN Women will dedicate the whole year for this whole review process, and they're launching this campaign called Generation Equality. It basically aims to tackle the unfinished business of achieving gender equality and women's empowerment everywhere. But as a, but as a different step, now they're putting the youth first. Um, to kind of uh, be the leaders uh, throughout this process. And um, we, I mean, we represent the youth, but also we represent our regions and we have these intersectional complexities as well where we're representing different backgrounds. So I'm, I'm diversity. really- Diversity. Yeah, diversity. It, it is, but honestly, it is very diverse uh, in that sense. Like in terms of marital status or disability, uh, we have HIV activists, mm-hmm. we have uh, indigenous persons, we have people from ethnic identities, refugees, etc. Uh, so it is really diverse and um, we're trying to drive a change in our communities, but staying in close connection with UN Women's Agenda and the Beijing uh, Declaration Principles. So that is what we're doing. Uh, hopefully we will foster uh, the momentum on youth engagement. Mm-hmm. Uh, although we're we're um, coming across some problems, I mean you know like not being taken enough 
not being taken seriously enough. Uh, that is one thing for sure. But I'm very happy that UN Women has changed this attitude uh, quite clearly. And I'm looking forward to uh, the things we will do throughout this year. I had the chance to represent uh, youth organizations and civil society in a number of meetings in North Macedonia, for example, or in Geneva through a very short uh, opening speech that I uh, got to make. Uh, I'm very grateful for that. But yeah, I'm excited. It will be a good, busy year, all <laughs> in all. Well, thank you very much for your deep and enlightening insight on the issues we have discussed in our fourth podcast. Uh, many thanks and I'm wishing you the best in this long career journey and I'm sure our next episodes will be as extraordinary, comprehensive, instructive and entertaining as this one. Finally, I would like to thank to all our listeners for joining our podcast session. We hope you enjoyed your time as much as we did. Please do not forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and please do not hesitate to contact us for share, sharing your um, feedbacks, further suggestions and creative ideas. Stay tuned with Yuskantim. Mm-hmm.